The NCAA basketball championship is tonight, but this is the real championship. You're in the right place, folks, because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show, folks. I'm David Anson. This here is Tyler Riggs. Hello, hello. Good to be here. Matt, Monday. Matt is at some conference in Vegas, or Who so knows? he tells us. Who knows? I don't know if I believe him. Have you ever been to Vegas? I have. I have. How many times? Uh, just once. It's a scary place. I'm not much of a gambler, so... What is your game of choice? I've never been. Oh, boy. I, well, I did roulette. I lost a quick, a good amount of money in a very quick amount of time, so then I stuck to penny slots after that. Isn't roulette like the worst odds you can have? <sighs> let's, not, let's not talk about What's it. What's the best odds? Is it blackjack? I don't know. I think it might be blackjack or if poker, you know what you're doing. If you know what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. I which, don't, so yeah. we never know what we're doing. Exactly. We're actually going to skip the headlines today mm-hmm. because who needs headlines? We're going to get right into what everyone's talking about. It. We talked about it a little bit last week, mm-hmm. the high-frequency trading. We're going to talk about some stocks that have actually been impacted this or their stocks have gone down on news of potential stuff impacting this. Um, but first, what are your kind of overall thoughts on this? Are you concerned? Um, does this impact the way... You make investments, or mm-hmm. what's your thought on the situation? So, first off, as a way I make investments, I would say it's not really impacting me that much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially with the foolish style of investing, we're thinking long term, we're thinking years out, buying good businesses. I'm not as concerned with how the price is moving over the course of the day, um, and whether you know I'm getting you know having to do multiple trades of that right. same company one day. So, I'll, first on that, not really an issue for me. Uh, I think with the companies we look at, though. Um, it is a little bit of a concern. I think this is an interesting time, though, because we've got sort of this perfect storm that's happened the past week with Michael Lewis's book coming out. Yep. Um, we've got the Justice Department announcing they've been doing an investigation in high-frequency trading and sort of all this swirling negativity about mm-hmm. it. So how I look at this right now is it's time to start looking at these brokerage companies, mm-hmm. um, You know, see how they're being impacted by this, and is this a market overreaction in terms of the price hits they're taking on. Um, right. And you talk about the market overreaction looking at uh, Charles Schwab, TD Ameritrade, mm-hmm. E-Trade. E-Trade, yeah. Uh, some of them down over 10% mm-hmm. in the last couple of days. And not necessarily because they themselves are doing high-frequency trading. Yeah. But part of their business kind of intermingles with high-frequency exactly. trading, if you will. Yeah. And the, the topic that's been on on the minds of some analysts and some reporters here is something called payment for order flow, mm-hmm. which the discount brokerages use to basically send orders to, to wholesale companies that then execute the trades for them. So they can, instead of sending the trades directly to the New York Stock Exchange, they yeah. can send them to these other companies, get paid for it, and get the orders kind of moving here. And some of those wholesale companies, you could argue that they kind of engage in high-frequency trading. So sure. now the issue is how much of this payment for order flow is going to impact yeah. uh, their business if the, if the regulators come in here and say, hey, you guys can't do that anymore. Sure. And I think when we are looking at it, the actual revenue amount for, in particular, I think it was TD Ameritrade, mm-hmm. was pretty big. Right. It was a, a maybe roughly 10% of their revenue. Right. So that's, that's a sizable chunk right there. However, would it really go down to zero because of any sort of regulations or things like that? Who knows at this point? I, I think it's probably pretty doubtful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, yes, there's... There's a lot of complications, a lot of details of high-frequency trading that's very hard to lump into one bucket. Um, I mean, high-frequency trading itself is sort of a catch-all term. Yeah. It could be market-making. It could be increasing liquidity. It could be arbitrage based on how quickly you can actually get information. Um, so there are all these little things with different risks, different uh, utilities to the market. So it's very difficult to sort of 
cast a wide net over high-frequency trading, saying all of it's bad, yeah. all of it's good. It's sort of a, we have to figure that out still. That's, I think, a, that's a good point, because yeah. everyone is basically going in one camp mm-hmm. or the other, saying this is horrible, the or this is rigged. great. Where yeah. I'm sure some of it is probably fine. I mean, mm-hmm. TD Ameritrade has taken a different stance than Charles Schwab. Charles Schwab came out, the actual, the actual Charles Schwab <laughs> came out and said, high-frequency trading is terrible, we need to get mm-hmm. rid of it, this is a bad thing for the market. A cancer, I think he said. In our yeah, and, and TD Ameritrade, their spokesperson, came out and said, it's fine with us. Mm-hmm. It increases liquidity, tighter spreads. Yeah. That's a good thing for small investors here. So very interesting to see TD Ameritrade kind of yeah. step up and say, hey, this isn't so bad. And like you said, they do get maybe around 10%. That's kind of the sure. estimate for this uh, payment for order flow that they get. But looking at, at TD Ameritrade, like you said, even if that was to go to zero, mm-hmm. okay, maybe they took, maybe they take a, a 10% hit sure. overall on revenue. That, that doesn't feel good. No, not at but all. But we've talked about TD Ameritrade on this show before, and the balances that they have sitting on their books and, that and they have a partnership with yeah. TD Bank, Yes, yes. Uh, they earn income on that, interest income on that. So when rates rise, TD Ameritrade is in a great position to earn more income here. I think you were telling me before, if interest rates go up 100 basis points, they add 30 cents a share to their already $1.30. Yeah, absolutely. Per share now. I mean, that's a that's a big boost there. And that's just 1% moving up. So even then, we're sort of a little bit low Mm -hmm. the historical norm. I mean, I mean, that's 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 a huge jump up there. So I think it's something where you want to look at this industry as something where it's be- getting beaten down really quickly, uh, maybe not entirely rationally. Right. And I think that's why these are, you know, Ameritrade, TD Ameritrade, E-Trade, Charles Schwab, these are intriguing things to watch right now mm-hmm. because if they continue to get beaten down by this, well, what it is basically is it's uncertainty. People right. don't know what really HFT, uh, high-frequency trading is. Yep. They don't know exactly what the Justice Department's going to do. So they're going to discount those stocks based on just the uncertainty about the future. So this is an area where we can, you know, keep an eye on and see what happens, see what develops. Right. So are you, are you not necessarily super interested today? I know TD Ameritrade has had a great run. It's yeah. doubled yeah. over the past uh, year and a half or so. Mm-hmm. Um, are you interested here, or does it need to fall a little bit more for you sure. to get really interested in the story? Yeah. So it's had a – It's like you said, it's been performing extremely well. Mm-hmm. So I would – I'm looking at TD Ameritrade now. Um, I'm looking to wait to see if it's going to be dropping any further because I think that'll make it more and more intriguing. Mm-hmm. Um, with any of these brokerages, though, these are all intriguing opportunities here um, to take advantage of sort of the short-termism of the market mm-hmm. and say, look, these are still solid businesses. They're still growing the amount of net assets they have yep. in their company. Uh, their commissions are staying you know, fairly stable. Um, so it's, it, these are intriguing investments, and it's something where I'm not buying it today, but I'll keep an eye on it. I'd like to keep learning more about high-frequency trading and all the little, you know, quirks about it and, right. you know, maybe see if this would be a legitimate investment opportunity. Interesting. All right. We will put them on, the, put them on our radar. Exactly. They're on my radar. They're, they're adding them. They're a, they're a blip now getting on there. So exactly. They're getting there. All right. Let's move on to the mailbag. Okay. I have an email address. All right. It's WTMI at fool.com. Our question today comes from, from Mark. He says, so you guys recommend reading some business books on top of investing books. I've been considering that myself for a while, especially to help learn some terminology and content in annual reports. Where should I start? Could you recommend something for someone who might know absolutely nothing about business? Uh, so we talked about investing books. You can kind of read the, the Peter Lynch mm-hmm. one up on Wall Street, the Ben Graham, Intelligent Investor. Those are a little bit more technical. They actually sure. show you investing-type mm-hmm. themes. But we also mentioned 
reading business books in general, and yeah. uh, Molly Fool co-founder David Gardner says, I don't read investing books. I like to read business books, mm-hmm. marketing books, uh, that can get a little bit more into the psychology exactly. of, of things. Yeah. Uh, so we talked about some business books, but is there anything that you look at to help your understanding of annual reports, some more of the sure. jargon of the business? Sure. So the one thing I'd say that we haven't talked about yet, and it's completely free and mm-hmm. it's available instantly, is blogs. Mm-hmm. There are, is a whole, there is a giant community of blogs out there. Some obviously more valuable than others, um, but I think it's just something where the more you immerse yourself in those, you, you basically just branch out like a web mm-hmm. of finding new blogs, new resources, things like that. Um, there's one blog uh, called footnoted.com, which specifically um, is a blog around looking at um, little things companies try to sneak into the footnotes of yeah. their SEC filings. They do a, a traditionally, it's called a Friday night dump, where basically, you know, when a company wants to bury, <clears throat> excuse me, bury some bad news, they're generally going to do it on a Friday afternoon around right. like when four no one's o'clock. watching. Exactly, but this blog is, um, and the the uh, uh, owner of that blog, um, she's actually got a uh, web uh, class uh, that's freely available where she goes through some of the basics of what she looks for, what sections are important in an SEC filing, which SEC filings are important, mm-hmm. and then basically how to look for triggers, how to look for things that. Uh, I think what she refers to as stories. Gotcha. Things that you can, you know, uh, create a narrative around and say, something's up with this company based on, you know, these sections I'm reading. So Interesting. I would say uh, blogs like that. Um, another one is uh, csinvesting.org. Basically, if you're looking for resources, things to read, it's got uh, no shortage of it. It's filled with things. You, you could spend all day, every day, reading all the posts and the links and everything. Mm-hmm. And you'll still have plenty to do. So I'd say that's something that you could go to today, this morning, um, and look at research and learn a lot about, you know, reading SEC filings. So you got csinvesting.org mm-hmm. and footnoted. Footnoted.com, I okay. believe it is, yeah. I'm going to give him one that's kind of a book, kind okay. of something else. Uh, we talk about him all the time. I'm going to look at the Warren Buffett letters. And mm-hmm. yeah. we talked about the letter from this year, but you can go back and read all of the prior letters, and I think you can even get a book on, on yeah. Amazon that kind of puts them all in one yeah, place. I think that's by Lawrence Cunningham. It's basically what he did was he took all those letters and took all the little discussions and organized them by themes. Right. Accounting, uh, acquisitions, or just general psychology, things like that. So that I really like that book because instead of going through the chronological method, I like going by subject and reading right. all that Buffett's talked about on this subject. Yeah, exactly, and he, he tells his kind of folksy stories in yeah. there. But he does touch on accounting a fair amount as well. Sure, absolutely. And that'll kind of give Mark some idea in terms of what's kind of, for lack of a better word, BS in, in terms of sure. what's real accounting. Because yeah. Buffett, Buffett has no problem calling out some things and saying, we have to do this because... Gap tells us to, mm-hmm. but we really think we that really it's disagree. completely stupid. Yeah. Uh, so that'll give Mark some good idea in terms of the exactly. reports as well. Exactly. There's no shortage of stuff to read, basically. Exactly. All right, moving on to the game for today. Mm-hmm. Playing a little stock quiz. Okay. And Matt's beaten me the last couple of weeks here, but I'm going to try to beat you. So do I have to live up to his streak then? You do. Oh, Pressure's on. All right, the first question is, <clears throat> it's pretty easy. You only got two options here. Mm-hmm. Which bank bought back 16% of its shareholder equity via buybacks during 2007? So, so during the boom times of banking stocks. Okay. During bank of America or Wells Fargo? So, um, I would, my first, rea- my first impression would be Wells Fargo, but then I'm trying to think maybe this is a trick question or maybe it's some sort of quirk to it. 
So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Bank of America A. That is wrong. Oh, it is. It is Wells Fargo. Sorry, Matt. And so they bought back 16% of their shareholder equity mm-hmm. in 2007. I think it was around seven and a half billion dollars they spent on buybacks mm-hmm. when their stock price was at an all-time high. Yeah. Multiples at an insane level. Insane looking back in retrospect. Mm-hmm. We look at Wells Fargo today and say they can do no wrong. This exactly. is a great bank. They have a great mortgage business. They weathered the crisis. They're mm-hmm. perfect. But if we look back to what actually happened, they didn't make the best capital allocation decisions yeah. possible. I mean, buying back stock during 2007 as a bank probably wasn't a very good idea. Bank of America, they didn't buy back as much. They yeah. were busy kind of still swallowing acquisitions. Sure, so sure. that's kind of where the question... I was reading too much psychology there I think, of before this. So. Um, so just something to remember. We just saw Wells Fargo mm-hmm. launch an enormous buyback program. I think something with the authorization of $17 billion yeah, yeah. in that range. So it looks good. Wells Fargo, I think, in my opinion, looks pretty fairly valued, but yeah. we can't look at these banks that have had a good uh, track record of performing well from a stock perspective and say everything they do is great. We need to hold them accountable. And I think you made a, a great point there that not all share buybacks are good things. If, right. if they're not doing them at the right time, they're just doing them to please the short-term yep. investors. That's not necessarily a good thing. It's it's very tough to figure out what's a good share buyback and what's not, but they're, they're not all just solely good things. Exactly. Yeah. All right, what do you got? How are you trying Alrighty. to do today? Alrighty, so I've got a ranking question. Rank the following by percentage of demand deposits on their balance sheets. So we've got A, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan, and Wells Fargo. This is from highest to lowest okay. percentage. B, J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, Bank of America. C, Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan, Bank of America. And finally, D, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan. I'm going to go with... D, uh, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan as a percentage of demand deposits. Is yeah. that right? Yeah, that's right. I was hoping at least we could even out by both of us getting wrong. But no, you did get it right. Okay. So good job. Um, yeah, it's about Wells Fargo's around 26% of their deposits. Bank of America's around 22 And then J.P. Uh, Morgan is around 18%. And right. I think those that's an important metric just to look at, you know, and be, primarily because the bank's primary function is – uh, you know, the uh, making money over the interest rates they yeah. lend out at versus the interest rates they pay out at in their deposits. So the bigger the number, the better. It's not, again, it's not, it's like a share buyback. That doesn't mean just because it's Everything, bigger, it's yeah. better. Um, but it is something to keep an eye on when you're looking at a bank and analyzing one of them and right. looking at their SEC filings. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Final question of the day. I'm going to try to stump you again here. Okay. The 10-year return for the S&P 500 from 1999, so from 1999 to 2008, I guess it was, okay. was negative 9%. What was Berkshire Hathaway's book value growth during that time? A, 35%, B, 63%, C, 97%, or D, 123%. Starting in 2009, the 10-year book value growth. <sighs> Got to get this right. Um... I'm going to, I think I've just got to go with my gut here, and I'm just, I, it's got to be a good number. I'm thinking D. It is D. All right. 123%. Right. So S&P, negative nine. Mm-hmm. Berkshire Hathaway, 123. Yeah. A lot's been made of Warren Buffett not beating the market on a book val- from a book value perspective mm-hmm. over the last five years. The market's had a great run. Yeah. Berkshire Hathaway's had a good run, but not beating the S&P, which is what his target is. Yep. But Buffett says... Judge us in the down years as mm-hmm. well. In the past five years, have only been 
up years, basically. Yeah. Uh, so when you look over the entire cycle, and from 2009 to 2008, I guess, mm-hmm. you're definitely getting some cycles in there, and you could see that Berkshire Hathaway yeah. vastly outperformed the S&P. So it's not totally fair to judge Berkshire Hathaway on what it's done recently. Looking out over the long term, mm-hmm. I feel confident that they will continue to beat the S&P. Yeah, I mean, it's something where if he doesn't get as big of a number as, you know, in a certain year or a five-year time frame, people say, has he lost his touch? Yep. And then when he's not getting as big of a negative number, no one's really talking about that. They're just talking about, you're just, you know, trying to, you know, stop the world, you know, the sky from falling. So I think that's, again, it's just something where he's got that long-term view that a lot of people are just looking to cherry-pick sort of time frames and say, okay, 10 years, he's destroyed the S&P, but five years... He's lagged it, so yeah. he must have lost his magic in the mm-hmm. past five years. It, it's just... Ridiculous. Yeah, same just story, ridiculous. same story, different year. Exactly. I always say it. Exactly. All right, moving on to the Twitter sphere. All right. Our only tweet of the day comes from... Let's see our tweet. Do we have a tweet? We do have a tweet. Okay. Uh, here's the tweet. It's from Credit Spread Slayer. Interesting. It's cool. Uh, <laughs> what are your thoughts on Prosper.com at TMF Financials? I think it's a decent way to for retail to gain access to the lending market. Prosper.com. Mm-hmm. We actually do have some thoughts on Prosper.com. Yeah. We actually have some primary source thoughts on Prosper.com. Yeah. We did an yeah. interview with the now president of Prosper.com, Ron Suber, back February 10th. Mm-hmm. So credit spread slayer can go search that. You can Google where the money is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ron Suber, Prosper.com. You can find the full interview we did with him. It was around... 20, 25 minutes, give some really good insight into the into the space. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this before. Yeah, yeah. Um, not a space that you're jumping into, but you're intrigued by it. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think it's it's a young space, <laughs> and that's why I'm a little wary of jumping into it. Um, you know, I, I'm not really one to want to jump into the new exciting thing, yeah. whether it's Bitcoin, whether it's peer-to-peer lending, things like that. I feel like it, it wouldn't hurt just to kind of wait, see what happens, see how things shake out, see what how the companies are growing too. Are they does it look like they're growing responsibly, or they yep. look like they're taking advantage of, you know, people just wanting to put their money in exciting things? So, yeah, yeah right now I, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm negative on it. I'm just sort of uh, wary and more of a patient. I'll see what happens. I think that's fair. Yeah. I, I become more interested mm-hmm. as I think returns from the stock market become less intriguing Mm -hmm. in terms of the next five to ten years. As valuations in the market continue to go up, Mm -hmm. then the yields that you can get from peer-to-peer lending look more attractive to me. So if you invest in kind of their riskiest pool of loans there, I think they'll give you an estimated return on there, and it could be around 11 12%. That begins to look more interesting to me as the overall market, the S&P, starts Mm -hmm. to look less interesting to me. So if we think about what causes stock prices to go down. It can be a economic kind of underlying problems with the economy, mm-hmm. or there can be bad returns because of just high valuations like we saw in 99, yeah. 2000. There wasn't a huge underlying problem with the economy. Valuations just got very high. Mm-hmm. So in a scenario like that, I become more interested in peer-to-peer lending. I don't, yeah. I don't dabble in it quite yet. But as, as multiples uh, creep higher in the stock market, I become more interested. Yeah. So the one thing I'd say on that is it's going to be, yeah, higher yields. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that worries me is the the credit risk. Yeah. Basically, you're dealing with people that 
it's a lot of, these are unsecured loans so they're not backed by a house or a car or anything so if you if they default on it they that's it i mean yeah. that's sort of the end of it you're out of your money mm-hmm. so it's 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 a new thing in terms of you can sort of lend money to individuals that you don't know um it it could be it it could be great um it, you know you theoretically you could diversify your risk across a lot of loans mm-hmm. but is that really diversification or is that just sort of like more is better and you just can yeah. sleep better at night? It's something like that and it's also sort of, you know, the documentation around it. I think a lot of it they've seen is that there's a lot, not a lot of documentation around the loans in terms of income, in terms of assets, things like that. If they can make that ro- more robust and bring that more formal lending in, then I think I'd be much more willing to dabble in it. It just sort of reminds me a little bit of you know, no doc, low doc, mm-hmm. and it just sort of, you know, shivers up the spine right. about that stuff. So, That's fair. Yeah. All right. Well, that is our show for All today. Right. Matt is going to attempt to do the show from Las Vegas tomorrow. Okay. We're going to try to deal with the technical difficulties. Of- is he going to be at like a uh, craps table or anything? Or He may be. Okay. He's out All there right. with full contributor Patrick Morris. Mm-hmm. So they're going to try to do a impromptu show. So hopefully that'll be up for the listeners tomorrow. Yeah. If it's not, Something went wrong, and we couldn't get the audio up, but he's going to try to do that tomorrow and Wednesday great. just to give everyone a heads up. Hopefully it all works out. Sounds great. All right, that is our show for today. You can email us, WTMI, at fool.com. You can find us on Twitter, at TMF Financials. Hopefully, Matt, will see you tomorrow. People on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear.